0: Welcome to another podcast from gaming from the first age and I am first age hope you're well uh, and I hope you're weathering the current pandemic uh, as best as possible uh, time of recording is June 2021 um, there is some signs that we will be easing out of lockdown a little bit over the summer uh, we're not quite sure when it was going to be the 21st of June might be a little bit later but we are heading in a more positive direction both in terms of the control of the virus and the effects of the virus uh, at least in our country at the moment so that's kind of i guess kind of good news overall i've i've been vaccinated uh, i've had my second uh, shot oh, my second jab just just this week and the vaccination program is run, is rolling out to ever increasing numbers so that's where we are on the on, on the pandemic and it's it's, I guess it's kind of germane to this podcast in a way, just because it basically affects all aspects of our lives, does it not? In this case, well, just the hobby stuff, really, but the uh, gaming side of things. So I've got some, some things to talk about uh, in this episode. I've got three J's and a confer. Well, just to say, I've got a few call-ins from uh, Joe from Hindsightless, from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety, and from John from Red Dice Diaries. So I'll be playing a few of those and responding to those. So um, thanks for the call-ins, guys. That's really nice to have some some other voices on the podcast. And then on to Confer. Well, I wanted to talk a bit about Confer, Confer, or even Conifer, if you really wanted to. um, A Dungeons & Dragons sort of pop-up mini-convention online. And I want to talk a bit about not just what it is, because that won't take very long, really, but I wanted to talk a bit about online conventions and about how I went about doing it and what tools I've used and the approach that I've taken and maybe why, just why in the first place, I guess. So some more to come. But I think for now, I'll, I'll leave it for me and, well, I'm going to have a listen to what Joe has to say. Hey, Graham, this is Joe from Hindsightless. I
1: think it might have been Jason from Nerds RPG Cast that turned me on to your show. Maybe I'm wrong, but... Whoever it was, I'm super glad they did really great stuff. I just caught your episode on getting in the groove and it was it was awesome to hear somebody else talking about Pathfinder. Uh, Yeah, I play a lot of Pathfinder. We were playing Pathfinder 2E for a year and a half every week in my in-person game before the pandemic hit we got up to 13th level we had an actual play for it it was called wheeler Woe. it's still out there we have like 146 episodes man (laughs) but dude yeah we had a ton of fun every week playing pathfinder 2 and it was great man we haven't played it much since then since the pandemic but anyway like i said it was just awesome to hear somebody else talking about it you got a great show
0: thanks very much peace out well, hey, Joe, thanks for the call in. It's, it's great to hear you. Um, yeah, hindsightless, by the way, everyone. I think with each of the podcasts that these three fine J's undertake, I shall put links in the show notes. Hindsightless is, is, is great. is great fun. It, it really is. It's really well worth doing. I think I think actually if you need if you just need a tonic, you know, if you just need a tonic, just listen to Joe be honest because uh it it cheered me up there's something there's something that joe can do that i just simply can't and it's purely national and cultural i think awesome but he says awesome in that in that that, uh, kind of american way that's infused with joy and energy it's brilliant so check out joe and uh, joe thanks (laughs) thanks so much for your message in pathfinder i know wheel or woe 140 plus episodes you're a legend um, but it is that kind of game, isn't it? I mean, it it's there for the long-term play. I'm talking about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's probably true of 1st Edition. It's, but 2nd Edition is the one that I know. It is... and There's kind of a theme here for me. It is a hero, sort of hero superhero-style fantasy role-playing game. At 1st level, you're chunky. You've got feats coming out of your ear rolls. You can do just about anything to anyone, apart from anything outside of your level bubble, of course, because that's the way the game works. But yeah, superhero games and and good times. I mean, I'm really enjoying my weekly uh, Pathfinder Second Edition game. I'm, I happen to be GMing it. We are really enjoying the game. We're getting a real buzz out of it. We've got a new player actually joined us, which is which is tremendous. We're eighth level now and more than thirty sessions in, which is which is pretty amazing. It might even be awesome to be honest. So hurrah for us! And the, I mean, the thing I like about Path, one of the things I like about Pathfinder is that, well, they are continuing to provide it with some of the most sumptuous and rich support as well. They've announced six new books to come out, I think it's sort of this year-ish, or in about a year, uh, over a year, some of which we've actually sort of, I think, knew about, several of which I kind of already know I'm going to get because I just won't be able to resist it. Um, The highlight for me probably being The Secrets of Magic, which is just more, you know, (laughs) just more stuff. But, you know, it'll all be really, 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 very, very good. I also fancy the Kingmaker uh, Adventure Path 2, which, of course, I mean, that's the thing. If you buy an Adventure Path from Paizo, you've kind of committed to a year's worth of gaming, at least, if you're going to really do it. And let's face it, we're not going to buy things and just read them, are we? I'll pause there, (laughs) because that's what we all do. But yeah, I really, really am looking forward to that. So great. Uh, It's a great game, isn't it? And it's just full of rich rich content for your characters that you can express in play Uh, it's got that sort of proficiency thing where you've got basically everything goes up every level so by level 15 you're at plus 15 just because you're 15th level never mind your sort of proficiency levels in your skills which might take you up to mastery which is another plus eight plus your sort of you know bonuses circumstantial bonuses feet what have yous uh, item what have you's, you know, you're pushing huge numbers, you're already 20, and you're adding sort of 20 or more, frankly. So you really have got that sense of, you know, power. Anyway, that's part of the fun of it. It's the rich glut of it, I would say, for Paizo. It's a wild, wacky, uh, almost gonzo superhero kind of game, and it, and, it, and it does it really, really well. So I guess what I want to say to you, Joe, is peace out. Yeah... Yeah, that's kind of a British approximation to Joe's peace out, which is just a lot better <laughs> all round. Never mind. Anyway, great to hear from you, Joe. Talk soon. And now, Jason.
1: Hey, Jason here. Just want to say really enjoyed your latest episode getting in the gaming groove. And yeah, I, I think a, an updated slipcase version of 4th edition is definitely something lots you should do. I, I bet you it would sell better than they think it would, to be honest. Um, it, it'd be an interesting project. I think 4th Edition gets maligned unfairly. Mind you, I've never played it. <laughs> but, you, you know, another game you mentioned I've never played is True 20, which is interesting because I really like what you're, you were saying about it. We've kind of veered more towards Rollmaster and Harp recently and actually playing the old Merp. Really enjoying that, but yeah, I I don't know. True 20 sounds like it's worth taking a peek at. But le- like you, D and D never really grabbed me. You know, it was my first game. You know, I had the Mensa red box the Beck me, red box, and I came in about three years after you into gaming in and A D and D first edition. But I quickly did Marvel superheroes and Gamma World and. You know, you know, Top Secret and, you know, all the other TSR games, and so, and then moved on to Palladium games, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and all that kind of stuff, but, yeah, I don't know, I, I still am not, I play D&D, because I play in other people's games, but when I run games, I'll run Barbarian's Lemoria, or I'll run, you know, other things, I, I don't know, a D&D just, I haven't dropped in that D20 phase yet, like you have, so maybe True 20 will grab me, I'll, I'll grab a copy and look take care my friend
0: hey jason thanks very much for the call and yeah uh i i think 4e would do well as a as a sort of a packaged product you know they've got the infrastructure to do it you know they the electronic tools which theoretically don't exist anymore but it's the internet and there are fans so of course they exist and they are great the character builder is amazing it's not supposed to exist, I expect, but it does, and it's wonderful. So, if, if it was all packaged up as a as as, a, as another expression of D and D, it would be great. Would Wizards of the Coast do that? I think almost certainly not. But you know, there we are. So the fans can can, can of course continue to enjoy it, just as we all do enjoy older versions. Uh, of the games, and I'm going to stick with it. Very kind of you uh, to say that it would do well. I, I suspect it's probably not to top of your list of games. It just happens to be top of my list right now, which is sort of, as I say, a kind of surprising place to be. Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. Who would have thought it? Not me. And yet you have gone down interesting paths that I really haven't gone down, such as the breadth of gaming. Rollmaster, for example. I did a little bit of Rollmaster, possibly even Space Master, back in the day. And back in the day, I mean, probably sort of mid-80s. Did have a little sort of brush with it. I can't remember the number. Was it 66 on the critical table? Something was amazing. Um, a lot of fun. We just never kind of got into it. We tried MURP. We tried MURP in Middle-earth and just thought it was a quite a fun sort of game, but it really didn't speak to us of Middle-earth. But then, of course, we've since had amazing, richly themed games which have emulated Middle-earth, and, and particularly, obviously, The One Ring. So, yeah, and Palladium, uh, just a blank for me. Uh, just another series of nice books that I just never looked at. So um, I just take it on good faith. I'm sure it's great. What I, what I have played, and where I think our tastes probably synchronise in terms of actual games, is Barbarians of Lemuria. I've been a long fan of Barbarians of Lemuria. I think it's an amazing game. It's it, it's it's clever, it's simple, but it's got lots of uh, options for you. It feels just rich enough and it works. And it works very much in that sword and sorcery vibe. Slightly pulpy, actually. And I have followed some of your after play reports, which, to be honest, sound great fun. And as you describe them, I mean, I wasn't there, obviously, but as you describe them, I think they live and breathe that sword and sorcery vibe, actually. So, um, yeah, keep it up yourself. That was great stuff. I have actually got, I don't know if you've got this, but I've got Every When, which is sort of Filigree Press's generic implementation of Barbarians of Lemuria. Generic in the sense that it is uh, able to emulate a number of different genres in the way that it's constructed. That looks very good. I have a lot of the source material. I haven't run any of it, I think, yet, but it keeps glowering at me from the shelf, so I I suspect it will find its way uh, into actual play at some point, but um, yes, everywhere I would recommend as sort of a, a good generic expression I'd be tempted actually to run everywhen not in Sword and Sorcery, and not probably in Fantasy, because I'd probably just, I probably wish would use Barbarians of Lemuria, to be honest I'd probably use Mythic Edition, but it's kind of pre-built for that, it kind of just works I always, I've got a lot of Barbarian of Lemuria hacks as well, there are quite a number of hacks out there, which I, again have sort of tempted me because they are so accessible um, and that's not to mention you know some of the uh, official Barbarians of the Mayoria powered games which I also have I have Honor and Intrigue so we could do Musketeers with it so we've got Barbarians of the Aftermath which looks a lot of fun I almost got that to the table so that's uh, a post-apocalyptic bit of fun that uh, looks really really good uh, Heroes of Hellas, you can get yourself off to ancient Greece with it. So yeah, um loads of loads of iterations of Barbarians of Lemuria. But there are basically some great uh, already pre-themed, pre-worked up games for that engine. And, and of course, everyone is there to do everything, I guess. So yeah, rock on with with that. And True20. So True20, yeah, I, I really love True20 it's a very interesting blend of the third sort of 333.5 srd world with its ma- massively its own take on a whole range of things i would say that the the sort of handbooks that come with it there are three handbooks that come with it they all provide masses of additional value you can of course play the game straight out of the ordinary book do get the 2008 version if you can the revised version uh, that's tidied up and a little bit a little bit more straightforward, yeah. But it's a great game. I it, bizarrely, you know, as as time, time is the thing, isn't it? I have barely touched True Twenty since I did the podcast. I just haven't touched it, and that's because I've been doing. I've been playing Four E. I've been playing Pathfinder. I've been running some Traveller. I've been doing other things, and there's just so much, so much time that you have. I strongly suspect True Twenty is one that I will come back to. I would like to come back to the Greyhawk stuff that we were doing with it. Uh, it really is just down to time. But um, yeah, I, I hope you like True 20. If you have a look at it, uh, just see what you think and, and do let me know if you do manage to uh, catch catch sight of it. Cool. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, talk soon. Cheers, mate.
2: Hey there, it's John here again from the Red Dice Stories, just listening to your episode where you're talking about the Omega actual play with generic comparisons like I say we're coming away through your back catalog and i just want to say thanks for mentioning the true 20 system i own that but i've not thought about it or read it in like years since 3.5 was all the cool new hotness on the block and it's reminding me that i want to go back and have a look at that because i remember really enjoying it when i first got it also after listening to you you passionately talk about it i've picked up a PDF copy of the Omni system you were talking about. I had a quick flick through it now. It looks pretty interesting, and I'm looking forward to delving into that a little bit more. So, thank you very much. Looking forward to listening to your future episodes. Take it easy.
0: Hey, John. Thanks for your call in. And yeah, um, Red Dice Diaries. I'm a long-term fan of Red Dice Diaries. I go way back with John, and especially John's YouTube RPG reviews. So I'm trying to think how how far back I go with those. It's quite a number of years. I remember meeting John. John, you may not remember very very briefly. I think it was a dragon meet, and I think I I don't know whether this, whether someone introduced who you were or I just actually recognised your voice. And we sort of kind of said hello. That's probably about it. <laughs> but anyway, both lovely to hear from you and, and and thanks for the call in. Yeah, and just to respond on Omni for the, I guess for those people sort of listening in. If you go back to my back catalogue, I talk about the Omni System or the Omega System, the system that powered Talislanta. I think it's a great game. So much so, I've sort of started that this project to write my own iteration of it, which I'll call Blade and Spell. Uh, I, th- I think I, I think I'll call it something else probably eventually, but it's probably it's probably a code name for what it was going to be. And it's got that it, it operates for me that's similar to. Similar territory to True Twenty, actually, but it's very much its own thing—a very simple, elegant dice mechanism and task resolution system, all based around one results table. It works really very well. It's that classic combination of attributes, skills, and kind of talents that come together, and it has that—it has that free-form sort of sphere-based magic system, you know, that, you know, Alan Mage and others, uh, and probably Ars Magica, where. You basically own knowledge of and power around certain spheres. Those spheres let you do things within a certain constrained sort of corridor of things. So it might be uh, something around energy. It might be around time. It might be about attack and offense. It might be around nature. So a sphere is a thing and you have power within that sphere. Uh, And then you build your own magic. Um, around what you want to do and the more complex and amazing things you want to do well it's the you know, it becomes harder for you to do it essentially and therefore it's more draining it's more uncertain and that's kind of how the game works and actually over time if you use a lot of magic it, it you know the world kind of works against you and kind of t- tries to strip you back. it's clever and it's simple I haven't again i <laughs> there's a, there's a kind of a theme here I haven't done much with Omni since those podcasts. I've run a little bit of it um, as one-offs. I want to get back to it. And in fact, when I have more time, and that's probably we're probably talking now next year, when I have more time, I would like to go back to Blade and Spell and finish it. I have got no idea whether, given that I don't have the IP for it, whether I'll be able to actually publish it. I, I, I think I need to sort that out properly first. I think if I do do a lot of work, on the Omni, on my take on the Omni system for fantasy, I'm going to need to get clearance to get it published first because otherwise it will be a lot of work just for me running a few games. So we'll see. Something I might come back to. In the meantime, I, you know, I could run Talislanta Fifth Edition, couldn't I? Because I rather like that. <laughs> Although I'm not, I, again, I'm not such a knowledgeable type on Talislanta. I'd look to my mate Tom for that. But yeah, uh, great game. And yeah, I'm I'm really glad you picked it up to have a look at it. I think it's worth some actual play, um, actually, just to get it out, back it out there again. It's got a lot going for it. So cheers, John.
2: Hey there, it's John here from the Red Dice Stories. I've just finished listening to your episode where you're talking about virtual tabletops. And I've got to say, I pretty much agree with you. As someone lives in a small town, it's been a real boon for me to be able to use virtual tabletops and play games online, and I don't think I'd have anywhere near as much engagement with the hobby if that were not the case. Don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed playing tabletop games in the past, as you said in your episode, but for me, it just gives me a wider pool of players, and it does add a bit extra, you know, the stuff I can do on virtual tabletops that I maybe can't do in a face-to-face game. Not to say that they're ever going to sort of supplant each other, but... I like the fact that we're using newer technology to enhance our games and stuff like that. So for me, I'm certainly going to be carrying on using them after the pandemic. I enjoyed your sort of roundup of the virtual tabletops that you've had experience of. I used Roll20 for a long time, but sort of uh, various sort of uh, issues particularly with that lagging when the obviously more people getting online with the pandemic, led me to search for alternatives. And I'm currently using for my old school essentials game, uh, Foundry VTT, which I found pretty cool and there's a lot of community-created content on there. Although again, as you were saying with some others, if there's not a system set up for it, it's a little bit beyond my abilities to create one despite having looked at numerous sort of youtube videos and stuff like that i just don't have the time to devote to it so i expect if i went for a game that wasn't on foundry vtt i'd probably try one of the sort of simply you know just like map and tokens ones that you were talking about anyway very much enjoy the episode keep up the good work and i'll catch you soon
0: yeah so heartily agree with you john um without without the vtt's Um, I probably, as you say, just just (laughs) essentially would not have engaged with the hobby virtually at all over the past 16 months. And I'd have missed it, you know, I really would have missed it. And it's been a, a, a boon is the word, a boon is the word, it's been a real boon. And it's been an escape, actually, you know, from some of the pressures and some of the, you know, the effects, I suppose, of of living through a pandemic it's it's been a place that we can go to where we can explore different things and have some fun with with people and you know i'm delighted to be able to game with so many people from different parts of the world you know i've got a one or two people i've been playing with from the states which has been really really nice and indeed just people dotted around the uk never mind anywhere else you know it's uh, people i otherwise wouldn't have game with so yeah and i think we are really lucky we've got this well, I say, well, I'm sure luck has got nothing to do with it, but we've got this rich array of virtual tabletops. Uh, to a degree, I think the point I'm making is, is it doesn't, it it almost doesn't really matter which one you go for, as long as you find one that you like, you can work with, and that you can bring your players into as easily as possible and quickly as possible, and really enjoy games. It's fine, and if you are, if you want to use some of the free tools such as Discord and others, um, that's all great, isn't it? Uh, it? It gets you out and it gets you gaming. So fantastic fantastico great well i shall I, th- I think you've inspired me to go and find some more red dice diaries actually john i'll i'll, I'll be back later <laughs> cheers see, see you around there you go some call-ins uh nice to hear from those three yeah if you have any comments questions concerns so i'm, I'm starting to sound like dungeon muser now then yeah drop me a line we all jam so there there they are yeah so confer then confer i thought you know, i felt really clever about that confer spelt with a four instead of an f yeah think about it yeah i I felt I, oh gosh i thought that was really clever but yeah a fourth edition dungeons and dragons mini pop-up convention and i i wanted to talk to you a bit about that because i, I i'm quite interested in the process my thinking around this. So just, you know, I think maybe sort of listeners of the podcast will know that something that I love to do is create gaming spaces for people to come together and play play games and play the games of our hobby. I like doing it. And typically what I do is I run a series of small conventions, 40 to 80 people at a local hotel, Garrison Hotel in Sheffield. We've got a great relationship with the hotel. They've got kind of got used to us now and they know what to expect. And I think we're, you know, we, we just get on really well with the venue. The venue is great. It's it's a hotel. So they sort out all the overnight stays. They obviously sort out all the catering and the bar. And it's all available at your fingertips as part of the convention, which is really, really nice. Um, obviously, people can find other other places to stay around the hotel. But we have that central facility, which is really lovely. So that's all sorted out. So I, so when I run a convention, uh, I run it with a, with some friends. So typically there are a gang of three of us, I would say. And for one of them, I think it's a gang of two. But I don't do it all on my own. I get loads of help uh, and support from a couple of uh, of friends who also enjoy the process of organising these things. And we do everything else other than what the hotel does so they obviously the hotel hi, um, hires us some rooms so we can actually put people in we sort out the rooms themselves and in the lead up to the conventions we will sort out the, you know the games themselves make sure there are games we do the scheduling and we will sort out sort of membership sort of questions concerns a little bit of money just to really largely cover the venue and the room hire uh, a little bit extra which sometimes we do as giveaways we don't make anything on the conventions we try to keep it tight so that we you know acquire the money that we need basically and that 's all, which means it's a good value convention for people to get a break away and that is the other thing about the conventions we run because people travel even if it 's not very far um, to Sheffield to stay over it's a bit like a holiday you know you're leaving your home environment you're going to a place you're physically meeting people. I think we 've forgotten what that's like, really haven't we. So there, there is a bit of a holiday atmosphere about the conventions, which I think is great. It really sort of sets the tone, as it were. So, yeah, so we do a lot of work around that. We get all the, um, we get the pre-bookings sorted out for games so people know what they're coming to, or the majority of the pre-bookings with the residual bookings done through a queuing system in the, in the convention itself. It's fairly slick, it's well-ordered, and our conventions are fundamentally about gameplay. So in your weekend, you'll have five sessions, three on the Saturday, two on the Sunday. People have to go home. They've got school the next day. And there are, those slots are for gaming. Pretty much that's it. We don't run a lot of other sort of activities, particularly seminars, at least not in mine, uh, not in my conventions anyway. It's all about the games and the retail. So we're very fortunate to have some retailers that join us as well. Uh, we've got uh, Patriot Games. We have got all rolled up, and we've got the Crafting Jones. Are uh, three that often come with us. Patriot Games is the our Sheffield uh, friendly local game store. They're they're wonderful. They are huge ambassadors to the hobby. Yeah, we are so fortunate to have Patriot Games uh, with us in Sheffield, uh, and indeed with us. Uh, at our conventions, so that's lovely. So, we've got some, you know, why go to a convention if you can't go and buy some dice or a new book? It's got to be done, hasn't it? Really, it's, it is the time to do it, especially if you're egged on by others uh, around you. So, it's a real joy, and that's how that's what we do. And they always bring a lot of joy, actually, that's exactly what they bring a lot of joy, a lot of fun. I love nothing more than sitting in the room and and hearing. The burble of games, the shouts, the enjoyment, the cries, you know, uh, as the games go on. And I, I just get a lot of, I get a lot out of it. I get a lot out of, I suppose, vicariously seeing the pleasure of others, frankly, and enjoying our hobby. So that's what we do. Haven't been able to do that, really, you know, over the pandemic. We are looking to go back to the Garrison Hotel. I mean, everything is crossed for October. So we've got some dates in October and actually I've got some dates for next year as well. So, you know, in October is Furnace, which is our sort of core open gaming convention. We'll often get around about 80 people there. And next year we'll run Revelation, which is our uh, Powered by the Apocalypse convention. And we've got North Star, which is actually, that one's in June this uh, next year. And that's our science fiction themed tabletop role-playing game convention. So they're booked in. I'm hoping that we'll, we'll manage the uh, October position I'm hoping that the vaccination position is, is, is fine for all our attendees at that point. Whether we need to sort of have testing uh, before people come, I don't, I don't know. We, we'll have to see. And we'll work with the hotel on that. So um, quietly confident that we'll get back. But this year, and indeed last year, it's been about online. So we switched to online and did that reasonably successfully, I would say. It doesn't have that burble it doesn't have that sense of coming together as an overall convention, but we have used uh, a number of tools online i mean for the physical conventions, we do use tools we obviously we use th- we, we do use things like uh, the gaming tavern forum we use you know for registration we would use google uh, Google form uh, which is great because the google form you know, gives us information and confirmation from attendees that have registered that they have read our policies, they have confirmed something about whether they want to GM or play, and they've confirmed something about their email addresses and whether we have their permissions to use them to communicate to them uh, during the convention. So as a, as a way of registering and getting people uh, together Google Forms, we found to be a really useful front door uh, into the convention. Now, we also use Facebook predominantly, and we use distribution email lists as well as ways of doing direct push communication. That works well enough. And the tooling we use to do the scheduling well, we use Google Sheets largely to get the schedule up, and then we use Google Sheets to allow people to do preferences or select their preferences for for the slots they want to play in uh, and for where there's contention and pressure we use a randomizer to randomize those that are you know highly sought after games that just simply there are too many people signing up for and then we look to try and move people into other games so that they've got you know games as, well as often as they want to play and that works reasonably well and we've always, we've done that for a long time and we've transferred that process to one degree or another to the online conventions. The difference being, of course, that we don't actually physically get together for the online conventions at all. So it's 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 lots of sort of sudden brief comings together of six or you know, six people in a window, and then sort of parting company, and then reemerging into another window to play some more games with another group of people. But it kind of works, and the feedback has been great. And yeah, we're we're, we're always learning, but. We're delivering, I would say, some fun, <laughs> some fun and some joy again uh, during these difficult times, uh, and obviously engaging and playing some great games. So, what more can you say? Which takes us to confer or confer. Yeah, so th- that th- this is me pushing the boat out a little bit and deciding to just see how far I can push the convention experience uh, or the convention organizing in as light and as quick a way as possible to deliver a convention with, a, well, I'm gonna say the sort of minimal amount of input, but with the maximum amount of fun for the people who are taking part. I mean, I think, the, I think the theme for Confer was get people playing fourth edition in a convention situation. And I just fancied doing that because as you know, fourth edition is currently my jam. It's the thing that I'm really enjoying playing and running. Well, in fact, running, I haven't played it yet, And sneakily, running Confer, well, I mean, it's a bit extreme, isn't it? But that's what I'm like. Um, I'd like to play 4th edition. How am I going to play 4th edition? Oh, I know. I'll run a convention and I'll get to play it. (laughs) I did that with um, Revelation. The reason I ran Revelation was my gaming group was not into PBTA games powered by the apocalypse. Whereas I thought that they were genius, actually. Complete genius. Uh, And I wasn't going to get a game of them. So I thought, well, I'll create a... Convention and see if anybody else turns up. And sure enough, we've got a nice little, a nice little clique of people, uh, self-formed uh, through the convention, and I get to play powered by the Apocalypse games. Admittedly, probably only once a year, but I get to play them. So confer. Well, that was again a similar idea, I suppose, in a way, but I wanted to see and play some Fourth Edition. How do I do it? Usually, when we run conventions, you know, there's probably a space of about four to five months as a run-up from announcing it to doing it. I mean, most people know on our schedule now roughly when the conventions will happen. So Furnace is in October, powered by the apocalypse, uh, Revelation, that is in February, and North Star, well, typically May, it happens to be in June this uh, next year, but it's around about the May, June time. So people know what's coming, and when we announce the dates, people can book their rooms and that kind of stuff, and there's this gradual build up over time. With Confer, I, I think what I wanted to do was see how quickly can I create a, a gaming space for people to come into in a way that's well organised, um, but I can do it as quickly as possible. And I set myself, I, so I thought about it in May, and I set myself, right, we'll run it in July 10th, 11th, of, uh, the weekend of 10th, 11th, so at the time of recording, we're about a month away. So for me, that was a ridiculously short period of time to create a convention, And I did that deliberately because as we all know, essentially effort kind of expands to the time that you give it. I decided that I wanted to set myself a goal of getting it up and running in a short period of time, uh, which would force me, if you like, to find ways of doing it that didn't take a lot of time. It was part of the thought experiment, really. Can I get something up and running in that time? If at the end of the day, I kind of fall on my face, well, who cares, actually? Uh, I mean, the worst that could probably happen is that I get to maybe run another game of fourth edition during that weekend. Well, boo-hoo, that'd be great, wouldn't it? So I don't lose. I'm not buying anything. So there's no financial upfront cost for me or risk. I'm not buying any rooms. I'm buying space in the internet. So that's that's easy to do. So I wanted to talk a bit about about how I went about it. Um, I think that would be interesting. I hope that'd be interesting. I, I, I found it interesting getting to the point where I could get it up and running. So how did I do it? Well, first of all, I've got my roots out to tell people about it. And they exist already. So there are some Facebook groups, there's some Discord servers, there's my usual haunts in terms of forums even even up even this sort of venerable and large rpg.net you can find some appropriate places to to put adverts in so i sprinkled adverts around to let people know but even before then i had to think about well where's my focal point of communication in the convention going to be and how am i going to do that organising piece now i could use the same tools that my friends use when they support me in working through our standard conventions. I don't tend to do the game scheduling. Uh, I've got, uh, my friend Elaine does that mostly, and for North Star, that's uh, you know, Don that does most of that. Um, so they kind of do that, for, if you like, for me, as it were, or at least for the convention, and I don't. And I decided that um, I wanted something that was didn't really involve me having to manage a sheet. So the the, the tools that I have used have been warhorn warhorn warhorn.net i decided i would have a go at i'm going to say mastering it i don't know if i I quite would go as far as that but literally being able to construct a convention on the warhorn site the warhorn site you go take a look at it it is built for that it's built for building up conventions putting on your slots adding scenarios into your slots and letting people register and then self-register when you open those slots four games and it's self actualized you know it, it just it just works so you set up the framework and then people can just come and decide what they want to play so in that sense it really worked for me now i'd had some i'd had some mixed comments about warhorn in terms of the simplicity of the design and the simplicity of the user experience and i might find it a bit clunky i have to say on a couple of occasions i did str- struggle with the very basic things until I worked out. So things like adding a scenario into a slot. I can't tell you how long it took me to work out how to do that. And w- once I did, I thought, oh, that's obvious. <laughs> just, so there we are. So there were just a few things, but as a site, I, I like it. I think it's good. It do, it, frankly, it does the job. It does a job in a very particular way. So I can't control how it does it, but what it does do, it does very, very well. So I constructed a Warhorn site. And some some empty slots that didn't take too long to do i had to I wanted to blend in some of our some of the learning that we had from our previous conventions and that's largely around safety tools so i've I've come into the safety tool world now i've been I've been playing gaming since eighty one we didn't have safety tools in eighty one i I think they are more than worth having that it it helps with inclusivity uh, and and it helps with uh, an understanding about the because every game is a social contract. Even if your social contract is anything goes, that's fine. That but it's still a social contract, you know. And, th- and there's no harm with having games where you say, look, I'm just going to say anything goes, and you've got to, you, you must accept that to play. That's also absolutely rock on. Um, but there are people who probably won't want to play that, which is also fine. So so getting getting linked into some safety tools and pointing Warhorn to safety tools that I would expect my GMs to use is, is worth doing I can't police that but I want to make that clear and also a policy statement about what we accept as behaviour uh, in, in what is ultimately a social activity so I wanted to get all that linked in so I did some links to that well worth doing well worth doing and in fact I say well worth doing I think for many who are looking at conventions it's not just worth doing it's actually essential so I'm that's learning for me that's learning and I think I have learnt my lessons on that one. So that was quite good. But Warhorn, Warhorn provides you with that scheduling. It provides you with a place to organise people into games. And there is some communication tools linked to Warhorn. So each scenario has an opportunity within the scenario slot to have a discussion. So there's discussions within the scenario group. That's probably where you're sorting out your your player characters, doing some of that preamble and build-up to the game. You can do that all on Warhorn. But as a general take, you know, a general overview about what's happening, some burble and chat about the convention, you won't do that. You can't do that, really, on Warhorn. That's not what it's for, to be fair. So I built a Discord. So I created a Discord server called 4ER, uh, or Confer. I have done some work sort of building sort of Discord servers before, the thing I found, of course, was I, I built one for the Garrison conventions, actually, a Discord hub for, for my, my, my Garrison hotel convention. So I'd learned a little bit about building a Discord for that. And so what I decided to do was, well, I found out you could use a current server as a template for another server. So I used the templating function to quickly build a template for 4ER for or Confer. You have to do some more work around it, but that sped up the creation of the Discord. So those are fundamentally my two tools: scheduling and I suppose really advertising, because there's like a front page on Warhorn. That's where you do that stuff. verbal chat and also having, of course, video conferencing capabilities, vi- video conferencing rooms. Well, that's all built into Discord. So I'm giving people and dice bots. You know, dice bots are in there, music bots, all in Discord, all free, all available. So general chat, plus some capabilities that if people want to use the Discord server, they may have their own facilities to use. That's kind of fine. Discord deals with that. So I had two fundamental bits of tech which I can use for uh, the convention. They were really quick to build, and they gave me a basis upon which I could run the convention in a very light touch way. So. I've proven to myself that it's possible. That's how I've gone about it. You may have done something very similar and found, you know, other equally and possibly better ways of doing it. But I thought I'd just talk a bit around that and talk about what I've done. So there we are. I'll I'll put a link to the <laughs> I'll put a link to uh, confer in the show notes, you know, it's it's going to run in a month's time. So whether you whether you want to join or not obviously it's up to you whether actually you're you're listening to this. And, uh, you know, it's 2025 or something. Uh, probably you won't be able to join. But who knows? Perhaps perhaps Confer 4 is running. You know, the fourth edition of the fourth edition uh, convention running. That'd be the one to go to. So if it is 2005, um, you've, you've, you've peaked at the right time. So, yeah. So those are the tools. How will it go? Well, June now, July 10th, 11th, a month away. I've got four to five games I've come through you know that's, that's that's great it's fantastic I've got some lovely games promised uh, maybe some gamma world 7th edition maybe just maybe which uh, definitely counts it's built on the 4th edition engine so I've got some great games uh, so people are now signing up we've got the, the people have signed up for those for those games so that's that's brilliant as well so it's going to happen which is lovely so I'm, I'm chuffed to bits about that and I'm kind of, I've kind of proven to myself that if you want to go about creating a gaming space online, bringing people in, theming it and doing it in a way which is quite well structured, you can do that. I would say the input from me to get those things set, set up and set up reasonably was, I'm going to say it's a weekend so it it's not a zero investment in time but that's pretty much it i don't have to do a huge amount more i mean i will i'll be i'll be sort of you know hovering around to help people throughout the weekend and in the lead up to it but not a huge investment in time for some real fun for people and you know i've had some great messages from people saying oh thanks so much for doing this you know i'm really looking forward to it oh that's great this is what it's all about so that's confer a gaming convention built out of nothing costing nothing but some of your time to invest in making it you know hang together reasonably well and then a weekend of fun it's all possible and what marvels me i think what marvels me is the fact that we have these tools now you know i if i if i look back you know really not that long i would have been struggling really to find a way posters in game shops for goodness sake it would never have happened The final thing on 4E, I suppose, is the quality of the virtual tabletop implementations of 4E. They're not that um, mature, I would say. I don't know much about the Roll20 implementation. Others that do have looked at it and said, yeah, it's all right. It's not quite there. Foundry implementation is coming. It's in beta at the moment. I I like the look of it. I can tell it's going to be great. Uh, I would say it was early. I haven't haven't invested in it, I'm, I'm going to say, in terms of time. I have the feeling I am going to be using 4th edition in Foundry at some point, probably this year. I use uh, Roll at the moment, and I've created my own sheet for that. And it works works well enough. It doesn't have rich or deep integration, but it it certainly works. Uh, and And there are doubtless others that are out there. So it's going to be probably dice rolling, not strong integration, but certainly strong enough to be able to play 4e. So that's great so the tools are out there be they the communication tools be they the virtual tabletops themselves i've got no doubt you could play it just rolling dice on discord and maybe sort of throwing up a few maps now and again it would kind of work so yeah really exciting and i guess what i would say is if you're thinking if you're thinking that you'd like to run a convention and maybe use the online space you know drop me a line and um let's 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 talk about it it's not it's not that involved and if you want to bring people together, it, it absolutely can be done. So encourage you. Cool. Well, that's it, I think. You know, I'm, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to call it there and I'm going to head for the outro. Well, and that, I guess, is a wrap. So some nice call-ins. Good to hear from some people. And some talk about well, online conventions and how possible and how absolutely possible it is to create those from nothing in a weekend. You know, and if you, if, you, if you're wanting to do that, as I say, drop me a line, and that'd be really good. I'm looking forward to gaming for the rest of the year. Perhaps doing some physical gaming, meeting together in conventions, and continuing with the online play with friends across the world. Looking forward to that all as well. I hope gaming is going well for you. You're, you're managing to engage and, and, and enjoy some of the hobby uh, during these difficult times. Any any comments or questions, let me know. Drop me a message either on Anchor. Um, there's an email uh, address in the show notes. Please feel free to use it. May- maybe send me an audio file through that. That'd be great. Or indeed, just, just drop me a note. Great to hear from you. Fantastic. Well, take good care and enjoy your gaming. Talk soon.